Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is CK Lin. Noble Warrior is where I interview leaders, thought leaders about their journey to deeper purpose, deeper joy, so you can do the same. My next guest, super excited to have him, is a well-respected practitioner and teacher of native Hawaiian practices. And he is especially effective at integrating native Hawaiian cultural values and principles into contemporary business practices. He's the founder of Life Enhancement Institute of the Pacific. If you're interested, if you love what he's saying, go to bit.ly slash truth beyond limits. You'll find all of his future talks and engagements and teachings. Welcome, Kumu Ramsey Tom. Thank you, CK. I really appreciate the invitation and thank you for having me on the show. Looking forward to it. So I want to bring back to why I was very moved by who you are. We were at the Aniwa gathering That's and correct. you were speaking about Oponopono, also uh, Aloha yes. and also Hawaii. And these words that we use, what well, we hear a lot in, especially in the in the spiritual community and you know we have certain perception of what that is and you start to articulate what they are and the thing i especially appreciate is you don't just go into the esoterics and the theoretical uh, teachings rather you brought it to a very personal uh, encounter with a hit and run driver <laughs> and how that triggered you but also it gave you a moment of teaching for yourself. And I really appreciate that you weren't just a monk from the mountaintop speaking about truth, but rather you made it very human, very relatable. So could you tell us that story a little bit? Yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, I, I thought that was an important opportunity, one for myself, but for others. Because there's a tendency, you know, for us to, or anyone to describe things, right? As we prescribe them, but we may not have actually lived through them. In other words, the old thing of talking out of school. <laughs> so I, I felt it was important to indicate, as I have with my students, that while I may be aware, I'm not immune. Mm -hmm. And it's important for us to continue living the practice and not just talking about it. But if I may uh, start by um, saying aloha to all of your guests and uh, allow us to connect to the energy of that image behind me. Uh, this is Moana Nui, the Pacific, and where my home is and where I'm from, if I may just say these few things. E holukono no kikino amika ohane. E ma lama pono kamanao kiola kikino e kamanava avaulo. Aloha, aloha, aloha. I start off with that phrase because uh, it speaks to the connectedness about unifying mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. And it is that unification that we become uh, centered in self and hopefully a little less self-centered. Mm. The other part of it is to nurture and care for that unification through all time. It acknowledges that we're all connected, you and I, and the space around us and all that occupy that space, past, present, and future. 
And I start out with that because it goes to your question, why and what was that story all about? As a practitioner of Ho'oponopono, we talk about forgiveness. The Hawaiian practice of Ho'oponopono is a forgiveness practice, a practice of making right, putting things in proper order. And I say that because it's a little different than saying it's a practice to fix. Mm. If you look at all the definitions of Ho'oponopono or Pono, uh, you won't find the term to fix. It's really about creating a preferred or better condition. So in the process of teaching and sharing these concepts, uh, it could be perceived that, you know, it doesn't happen to us. It's one thing to, to talk about it, but to really mm -hmm. live. So it happened on a, a particular Sunday uh, morning when I was on my way to uh, meet my mom. I was actually planning to pick her up. And uh, in the process, there were several detours. And so I contacted her and said, I'll have to meet you. Um, in the meantime, I have to take another route. In the process of taking that route, um, I came to a stop sign and I had the right of way. And as I made the left turn onto the street, the man that was at the stop sign presumably stopped, <laughs> continued through the stop sign and struck my vehicle. Fortunately, I wasn't injured. I was able to avoid a major calamity. But in the process of that that uh, that meeting, he took off. And so it was a hit and run. And as I sat there, um, I found myself getting much annoyed and irritated. But before allowing myself to go into that particular space, I drew upon the practice uh, and really found myself needing to go into that space uh, for Ho'oponopono. And while I was headed to a place to conduct prayer with my mother, I never got there, but I did conduct prayer. Mm. And that prayer at that moment was guided by and inspired by this notion of Ho'oponopono to make right. And it was really um, a basis of clearing myself. I really had to get into a space to release whatever anger, frustration, annoyances that I had mm. um, in order to conduct the rest of my day and move, move forward. And so the first uh, phase of that was really to ask for forgiveness. Uh, for my ancestors and myself, for anything that we had done that created a condition that allowed me to be in that place at that time, because other people weren't there. It was me. Mm -hmm. And things had led up to my decision-making that put me there at that time to meet this driver who obviously was in a rush or had some other things going on in his life that not allowed him to hit me but also to evade further engagement. So um, the practice then was to ask for apologies and say whatever it was that we created, that I created, please forgive us. In a reciprocity, which is part of the Aloha principle of giving and receiving, 
I and my ancestors then proceeded to forgive him and his ancestors to do the same for whatever they had done that created the opportunity for us to come together for this engagement, planned or unplanned. It is in that reciprocity agreement of giving and receiving that Ho'oponopono intends to make right because I could now move forward. It didn't release him of his obligations, but it released me and my ancestors from any ongoing continued aggravation of having mm -hmm. to deal with that. Now, I obviously have to deal with insurance and all those kinds of things, but as far as that individual, I was able to release that. Mm -hmm. And in that, revealing there was some healing not just for myself but others whom i shared the story with as an object lesson mm -hmm. because it is in in that uh mindset of recognizing our our practice in the contemporary world you hit me i hit you you hit me back i hit you back how many iterations do we go through before we realize that we're doing more damage than correction, right? At some point in time, some someone has to stop uh, or in, encourage them to stop, right? And in the event that you're not in physical proximity, in fact, the process actually works with departed souls mm -hmm. whom we may want to reconcile with. It also works with those who are inbound in anticipation of their arrival. That if we have created any conditions that uh, could create adversarial relationships that we erase those or begin to work on it. So the purpose for doing it, one for myself and my family, the second to share the story was as an object lesson for those who might think that the process is just a cursory activity, right? Or that you can tell others about it without actually exercising it. So I was hoping to make it a demonstration of how and when something like that would be utilized, not just when things are hunky-dory, right? When everything's fine and the tigers are in their cages and you're in your nice home and you can do your process. Mm -hmm. um, this is really about being in the present, right? In the space mm -hmm. uh, and going to that space of peace. I think that's the, the true test. I mean, it's easy to talk about love and wisdom and truth when you are in the four seasons and there's people waiting on you and everything is comfortable but That's the real it. test of kindness is when you don't necessarily have to right and when you have all the quote-unquote right reasons to be angry and all those things and, and you have a lot of agreement from people around you right hey that was right for you to be angry but you still have the um, the discernment to bring that inner peace back, to bring that forgiveness back. So I think that's, you know, hence that story was such a beautiful illustration of what could be. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I did get many comments from friends and associates and even some strangers, um, which may not be strange at all, if we consider the idea we're all connected. And I had a, uh, clerk in one of our grocery stores 
stopped me uh, as I was processing my my order. And she thanked me because she had seen the sharing on one of my posts. And she proceeded to tell me that she essentially um, duplicated the process by putting her name in there and the members that she needed to deal with in their case. And she said that it really led to um, a lot of internal peace, something that she'd been looking for in this particular situation uh, for some considerable time. And so just that exercise. So if anything, it demonstrates we never know where you know, our efforts will plant seeds and then ultimately grow. So, so on that note, let me ask you a quick question. Sure. Because you're invited as a wisdom teacher, an elder that holds the Hawaiian cultural values and, and wisdom. I'm curious from your perspective, what makes a wisdom teacher and what makes an elder and are they distinct? No, I appreciate that. I, I, th I think they are. Um, like a glass can hold many liquids. You know? mm -hmm. The liquids don't define the glass. Mm -hmm. right? So I, I think that's similar here. Um, I'd like to state that I think these things that you're talking about have really been um, imposed or imparted upon me by others. So I don't necessarily consider myself a wisdom keeper. I'm just me. Um, but in talking with people and others, uh, they find that what I have to say or offer is in their definition, wisdom. And the same term kumu, for instance, it's a title given to me by my instructors when they believed it was time for me to move forward. It is also a title given to me by my students, um, presuming they're learning anything. The term kumu really re refers to resource. Mm. Um, and I think you and I may have chatted about this, but in my estimation, it's like being the pond and not the spring, mm. right? Uh, to receive what is being gifted, uh, maintaining it, holding it for others to draw from. So in much, uh, in many ways, like a um, watering hole where all the animals come to drink, the pond doesn't determine who drinks or what they drink or where they go with once they drink it. That's kind of how I feel in many ways, um, my role or my responsibilities are. I happen to be a holding pond for some wisdom and information that was poured into me by these elders before me. Mm. From the standpoint of being an elder, an extension of other elders could be one definition. I represent them now as they have gifted me and said, go on and share this, as I will do with others, um, as mm. a way of passing on the traditions, uh, the knowledge and the wisdom. As far as wisdom is concerned, um, I think we're living in a time where we're pursuing knowledge. There's all kinds of knowledge, all many different ways of knowing. But the pursuit of knowledge may be moving far too quickly in the absence of including wisdom. Wisdom being that 
uh, experience, the actual application of whatever that knowledge might be. So I think you can say, I know something, but if you've never really done it, do you really know it? Once you've applied it and you can repeat it, as well as convey that to others in a meaningful way, then I believe that begins to bubble up into what we might call wisdom. Mm. So in my case, I think that there's been a lot of experience which then lends to expertise um, to be able to do, as you said, just in that story, apply knowledge in a way that demonstrates wisdom, how to apply what it is we know in a way that then helps others to do the same. As far as elders are concerned, in Hawaiian custom, the term kupuna mm. is usually used to refer to someone um, a grandparent mm. in a linear familial way, someone that is older. And that doesn't necessarily mean just someone that's in your nuclear family by blood. So anyone, my elder, older than I am, by age could be considered kupuna. The definition of kupuna broken down in Hawaiian is uh, resource, the human resource. Puna is a name for resource. Ku is the name for man, that which stands. Kupuna then is the resource or the origins of men, which are our grandparents and our ancestors. So kupuna are ancestors, therefore our elders that came before us. Now what's important is your question is whether or not all kupuna are wisdom keepers or are all wisdom keepers kupuna. I think we know by our experience that there are those that have reached an age that may qualify them as kupuna and elder. But some of us have not matured, regardless of our linear age, chronological age, to really earn the status of kupuna or wisdom keeper. And so many of us, despite our age, uh, still retain adolescent practices. <laughs> Well, others have gotten to a place of maturity that is tolerant of those practices, um, but much more willing to share their wisdom. And so I've had the good fortune of being mentored by many of those individuals who were both kupuna uh, and were kupuna in both respects, both in maturity but also keepers of wisdom. And they found it uh, appropriate to share what they had with me. And so to that extent, I, I believe I'm an extension of them in as much as I'm creating my own space as a result of that. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, long winded answer to a short question. No, I would call it comprehensive. Yes, it was a very comprehensive, I, which I appreciate. And another indicator of um how, how much of your teacher right because mm -hmm. in my mind what is a wisdom teacher I, I love the way you said it um you have the knowledge you have the experience and your ability to translate that to someone who may not have had the experience mm -hmm. i think the three is very important and i just love the way that you tell stories and you're able to weave multiple topics 
and drop jams like it's nothing. Oh, I appreciate <laughs> so, it. A great it's skill. One of the reasons, it's one of the reasons why my, my consulting firm was named Life Enhancement Institute of mm. the Pacific. Uh, the acronym LEI uh, refers to lay, like the ones I'm wearing. Mm -hmm. And a lay, in many respects, is a physical demonstration of synergy, of taking things that may not appear to be common and putting them on a common background. In my case, they happen to become in shells. But with our floral arrangements, you could have flowers or things that don't look like they fit, but when you put them on the right backing, they become much more than the sum of their parts. So that too is a metaphor, an analogy of what I think uh, I'm aspiring to do, which is to take things that don't seem to fit put them on a common background so that regardless of where one is coming from, background, experience, knowledge, et cetera, that they can benefit from experiencing that. So I get to speak in many different places, different venues, different silos, if you would, um, and manage to somehow convey information that regardless of whether you're a doctor, an engineer, a truck driver, what have you, that if you're in that same space, you'll walk away with something of value. Um, and most times I'm just relying on spirit to guide that. <laughs> it's not its not a mechanical thing. It's just kind of getting out of the way. So, okay. So someone who who is a teacher as well, right? Because mm -hmm. Noble Warrior, my job is to, to excavate, to curate right. wisdom and wisdom teachers and I love what you just said, right? To listen to the room, listen to what the room needs and allow spirit or the inner guidance to share that whatever that may be sort of a, a side conversation. So if you can concretize that skill, that would be amazing for other aspiring wisdom teachers. Yeah, I guess the best way to say is get out of the way, listen. Um, we're sensual beings and are responding to our senses of physical senses, sight, touch, smell, sound, all those. But the other senses, the more esoteric, deeper ones, the ones we aren't physically attuned to, I believe are those that I'm referring to. Some would call a sixth sense, seventh sense. It's spirit. Um, and it's being moved by and listening. And rather than being more interested in what you have to say and much more conscious of what needs to be heard mm. as you listen, right? Uh, my daughter, who I'm spending some time with this week, uh, when she comes to class, my, my Lua martial arts class, Often she'd ask, uh, so dad, what are we going to learn tonight? Actually, more appropriate, she said, what are you going to teach tonight? <laughs> and my response is usually, well, um, I'm not sure yet. We'll see when we get there. And in the process of doing warm-ups and preparing for the class, I'll notice one or two individuals who may be doing something inappropriately or incorrectly. And it is at that instant, that moment, that 
the class then revealed itself. So the students having difficulty now becomes the teacher. Drawing from the old adage, when the teacher is ready, the student appears and vice versa. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. That's a demonstration of being aware, being sensitive to the opportunity. In that particular case, the student who is executing a movement incorrectly has the opportunity to learn the correct procedure. And in the process of conveying and sharing that with them, then the others around him or her will learn as well. If anything, how to diagnose the problem, then how to correct it. And in the process of doing that, then get their own exercise and their own reinforcement. Um, had I come into that class with a particular message, I could have shared that. But that particular student who was already one step behind would be even further behind, mm -hmm. right? And so while there would be several of them who would fall in line and benefit, the group at large would not. And so it's also, I think, being conscious of the whole and not just the parts, right? Mm. Recognizing the whole is made up of parts. And if all the parts aren't working together, then you might find a hole in the hole. Right? Mm. And so we have to fill the gaps. I want, to, I want to tie it to the theme of Noble Warrior. Yeah. Helping people get on the journey of finding a deeper purpose, a deeper joy, and deeper effectiveness as well. I think that there's parallel tracks. Mm -hmm. This purpose for me is serving purpose is serving something that's greater than self. Yes. And I think a lot of times the beginning part of searching is what is my purpose and you know, grasping the, you know, within versus listening for what the outer needs and wants. And if I'm hearing you right, it's to keep the seven sense open, six sense open, and then listen for what's around you and how can you serve them and how to, at the same time, stay in that sense of joy to you. And then it's through the iteration of that, and then you, whoever's listening, would, would see that, um, that path, yes. higher purpose. Oh, what's your take on that? I think we're all in different places and we have different opportunities to experience what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, an example would be, and again, this is an example of aloha, the, the spiritual application, the operationalization of spirit, if you would, is when you visit a family, a friend, or even a stranger, that you've taken the time to know enough about them and not just bringing yourself to say, hi, I'm here, right? Enjoy me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pleasure is all yours. <laughs> it's, right, so it's actually going to someone and bringing a, a dish of food, for instance. If you bring the food you eat, that presumes that they eat it too. But you're still thinking about yourself. But to go into a home and know that a particular family uh, may be lactose intolerant, 
that you're going to bring food or sustenance that's good for them and not just because it's good for you. That's showing an awareness. So the metaphor here, of course, whatever you're sharing is food for the mind, the spirit. And so regardless of whether or not it's nutritious for me, it needs to be nutritious for those I'm sharing it with. If it causes them illness, disease, disorder, disruption, then really it served no purpose, not even my own at that point, right? And the joy at that point in time is seeing and knowing that when you've contributed to someone else's well-being and in doing so, contribute to your own. Mm. If, if for another reason, you've now made another friend and hopefully mm. eliminated a potential enemy. Right? Mm. So you're building community in that way and not just building self. And I believe this draws from the law of expansion. You know, as you expand others, so do you expand. Mm. But it requires you to expand your awareness, expand your your reach by expanding your sensitivities to the well-beings of others. And this goes back to or brings forward um, an attitude of we rather than me. And I think as facilitators, teachers, uh, healers or revealers that's a big part of the characteristics of being and living those responsibilities i'm curious because as a as a teacher part of the role is to uh, elevate the prominence of mm -hmm. the brand the teaching right the person mm -hmm. the human being and but also at the same time the teaching isn't about the human being we're, we're merely the vessels right the you know conduits this is flowing to us so how do you reconcile <laughs> the importance of quote-unquote branding right so so yeah. so so uh kumu ramsey is a brand and people come to you for so then you can serve them better at the same time it's also mm -hmm. not about the personality as well you know what i mean so how do you yeah. reconcile right. the importance of both well, I have to admit, CK, I'm probably still learning that myself um, because I really haven't focused on branding and maybe that's my brand. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. A brand of no brand. <laughs> exactly. I'm brandless. That's the brand. Uh -huh. um, because as I've told others, I don't go where I'm not invited. And that's why I thank you for inviting me here today. I probably wouldn't have sought you out and say, Hey, I want to be on your show. Mm -hmm. That's not what I do. My underlying attitude is that uh, when dealing with native communities in particular, it's by invasion or invitation. Mm. The last thing I want to do is invade someone else's space. Mm. That said, I recognize that each of us, regardless of where we are in our lives or the world, probably has something to offer someone else. We've all been provided gifts. So to not offer to share those gifts is uh, selfish in one respect. And I'm not saying bad or good, it's just selfish. You're just really thinking about self at that point in time. Mm -hmm. But in as much as the other way around is if you're just thinking about self and promoting self for the sake of promoting self, regardless of what people are getting, then I'm not sure there's balance in that either. Right. 
but I think by ma maintaining one's authenticity and being present and being willing, and which I ask the cosmos and share it, it says, I'm available, you know, mm. and my availability uh, then produces invitations. So that's the brandless brand for me. Um, mm. And I probably have never put those two words together before until now, but uh, because I haven't focused on the business of being a teacher mm. or, or a facilitator. Yes, a lot of people contact me. I, I go to all kinds of facilitations and trainings. Um, and perhaps if there's a weakness in my brand or my practice, it's that I'm not a promoter. If anything, others have helped to promote me and not me promote myself. I'm not comfortable in that space because I don't think it's about me. It is about yeah. the content. So yeah. I, I haven't I haven't really spent enough time or resources in self-promotion. I mean, if you think about some of the world's top wisdom teachers of all time, right? The Buddhas, the mm -hmm. Jesus, the, you know, whoever that, you know, that, that you think about, I can't fathom how they promote themselves. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the, the, the potency comes from their words and also their embodiment, right? So it's not just words, right. but like how they live their life, how they, you know, treat other people right. from the micro moments. You know, if, let's say if we transpose them to 2022 today, I can't imagine them be like, you know, look at my name and put it their name on a, you know, building or something. That would be weird. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it seems like all the interpreters, the salesmen are really the ones that are doing the promoting. Right. The salesmen of the particular brand or, or product, they're selling themselves to sell the product. Whereas individuals like you're saying, they were the product. They were it, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'd be really interested to see the marketing team behind Jesus. <laughs> I mean, he did have 12 disciples who yeah. write great stories and narratives about the man or and the being, the person, right? So Yeah, if you think about that, that was an after effect, right? It wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to Galilee, let them know I'm coming, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's kind of like, oh, he was in Galilee last week. Wait till you see the next one. That's you know, it's one of that type, right? Oh, we heard about you, right? And so that's yeah. word of mouth. But I mean, today with you know all the capacity we have today, we can do that. But yeah, nice observation. Um, yeah, uh, I, I was just curious more more than anything else because because in my mind, I think where I grapple with as a I, my job is to help mm -hmm. and facilitate the wisdom teachers that I see, that I that I that I appreciate. Mm -hmm. So then they tell their wisdom and stories and narrative more, so more people can be awakened, more people can live a healthier and thriving life, more people can right. find their purpose and find deep joy, regardless of what's going on in their circumstances. Yeah, I believe that's my dharmic path. So. Yeah. Something and similarly, that I think about. similarly, I think that's kind of where I am in terms of the information uh, that has been shared with me. Um, it's not for everybody. So consequently, I'm not going to deliver pizzas to people who don't eat pizza. <laughs> right, so, Great metaphor. <laughs> at, at some point, you know, if, if you want it, here it is. 
um, but not so arrogant to think that I'm the only source of it and that you're not going to learn it unless you talk to me, which I think I've seen others do. Um, I think all of us are tapped into the grand source of wisdom, knowledge, information, and it comes through when it's necessary and needed. Consequently, that may be in the moment in as much as it may be in the future. But the ability to access it is probably more important, right? The ability to, be, to access this wisdom? Access whatever wisdom, information yeah. is necessary. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the moment, you may not never have experienced that particular thing in the past. But you're able to draw upon the universal guidance mm -hmm. because you have a way of plugging into it or accessing it in the same way that a fish is in the ocean. It doesn't create the water around it, but it sure has access to the oxygen in it. Mm -hmm. I think mana, uh, life energy is like that. And I think knowledge uh, is the same. And wisdom is that at the right appropriate time and the appropriate mindset, we all have access. Uh, it's just whether or not we know what to do with it or how to how to apply it. Uh, so I know a lot of people can, can open a jar, but they don't know what to do with the contents. So on that note, a <laughs> uh, couple of, yeah, I want to double click on that. Um, I believe that wisdom's all around us. Opportunities Correct. are all around us. Abundance is all around us. The key is whether or not we can see it. That's one. And two, yes. whether or not we can internalize it. That's two, right? So yes. what kind of practices have you uh, discovered in your own journey of many decades to one, be able to discern, mm -hmm. right? To have that discernment that awareness and also mm -hmm. two, to then internalize it better? Good question. Um, I, I would pick up on the idea that we all have access. More importantly, we're all carrying, we're all knowledge and wisdom keepers to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. um, I think part of it is knowing what you don't know or more importantly knowing that there are things you don't know yet right mm -hmm. and that's being the term lifelong learner but it also requires a sense of humility that some of us who choose this path uh haven't learned yet right because um, what we're just talking about is that if there's a term for it it's humility uh, and that means that you're not thinking about yourself uh, or less about yourself, just thinking about yourself less often, right? Mm -hmm. That's the going. Because you're, you're paying attention to what others have. And if you know where your blind spots are, if you know what it is you don't know, to be aware when you're in the presence of someone who has that, right? Now, oftentimes they may not know they have it. So in the exchange, it's revealed for both of you. They reveal their information and knowledge because of the questions we pose to them, right? Knowing that we have a need or desire or an opportunity to fill in that gap. And that that's when a relationship occurs, right? Mm. The other part of it is recognizing you don't need to know all you don't need to know it all. You don't need to be the, the Costco of knowledge. <laughs> the Costco of knowledge. Right? The, whole, the whole scalar of knowledge and wisdom. Right? Uh, 
and only keep what's in stock that people want, right? Which is yeah. their practice, right? If they buy it, we'll keep it in stock. If they don't, we'll get rid of it. Um, that's kind of how I'm seeing a lot of people entering this space. They want to be the, the wisdom keepers of all things. Mm. It's different than having access to the library of all things. When you have the library card, you can go in and search, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the librarian doesn't know all information. He or she just happens to have access. Mm -hmm. Whether they read every book in the library, now that's another story. Uh, and, and, and this is inspired by um, Queen Liliuokalani, our last queen, or the queen who was deposed or overthrown in 1893. Her statement to everyone about Aloha was, um, this spirit of Aloha is to see without looking. And mm. one, you know, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, to feel without touching. And more importantly, to know the unknowable. Now, some might translate that last thing it says, so does that make you a know-it-all? <laughs> right? No, not at all. If anything, the concept of to know the unknowable really suggests if you know the source of all things, in this case, God, the creative forces, the librarian, if you have access to that, you have the library card, then anything that you require or need you can now access. Mm. And so I think the discernment is to one, recognize that as many gifts that we may have, we don't have all gifts. And I think the gift of discernment is one of them, right? Mm. Not everyone operates from discernment. Some of us have gone beyond discernment to being discriminatory right? mm. or prejudicial which is rooted in discernment, but perhaps move to a much greater state, right? I'm no longer discerning between a uh, ripe apple and a rotten one. I'm just choosing to think that all apples are rotten. Mm. That's when I think discernment moves into being prejudicial or discriminatory. Uh, so I think that's an important concept that one needs to be aware of. So if there's a short answer, it's self-awareness. Being more aware of oneself, both gifts, strengths, weaknesses, and opportunities to, to so double So double-clicking on that, right? Because I don't want to just leave people with develop more self-awareness because that's great advice. But tactically speaking, what kind of practice could you share with them such that they, let's say journal or meditate, whatever the practice may be, so then they can be inspired by you, but also go try it, some of these modalities. Yeah, so, you know, there are so many different ways and we call them meditation and, and study and listening, those kinds of things. I think a lot of that is important. Um, but a big part of it is recognizing what we call Aka, AKA mm. Aka, which in Hawaiian is a reference to mirror, shadow. Uh, so the shadow, to follow someone whose wisdom or knowledge is inspiring to you, right? To be in their presence and learn through observation, listening, participation. 
The other is to mirror, right? Not mimic, that's different, but mirror. Uh, to find and recognize that those that we find sitting in front of us or are we sitting in front of them somehow are mirrors to one another. Yeah, to the point that the things that annoy us about ourselves can often be brought out by someone sitting in front of us. I don't like mm -hmm. what he just did, but really they just demonstrated what you don't like about yourself. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that perspective um, and the exercise of being open and aware of that every time you sit in front of someone or you're triggered by something someone says or does is that before you start judging the activity, begin to scan your response. Now, that's not being self-centered. That's being centered itself. Acknowledging mm -hmm. that. The guy next to me wasn't triggered by that, by that comment. I was. Mm -hmm. So the question that I would ask myself at that point is, what is it about me that allowed me to be triggered by that that caused me to behave the way I'm behaving now because I brought that to the room, right? This person that's outside of me is like that, regardless of whether I'm in the room or not, right? Other people have found comfort in his or her conversation. And yet I'm annoyed by it. What, what is that? What did I bring? What was in me that got annoyed by that? And I think that's a, an important question that, reveals these other things. So what is it about me that I can then let go, refine, right? Improve upon that allows me then not to be triggered in that way, especially if it's a negative trigger. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an exercise. And I think if people become more aware of that and uh, challenge themselves to go to that place. Now that's not to put fault or blame on oneself either. By mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that, In other words, it's not, why am I such a bad person? Because there are people that go down that path. You know, I'm not worthy. Right? That type of thing. It's not about worthiness. It really has more to do with um, your grandmother packed the bag for you. And she packed the bag for the terrain that she was most accustomed. Once you leave that terrain, you have to be confident enough to say, thank you, grandmother. That caftan or that bl blanket you gave me was wonderful when it was cold, but now I'm in the desert and I need to don something else. So be grateful. So gratitude is part of that exercise. Being grateful for what it is we have, but also finding gratitude for the opportunity to seek something different. Uh, in the right time. So these are attitudes as much as they are aptitudes that I yeah. think each of us can begin to subscribe to. I love it. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, a mental uh, exercise that I was taught once. Uh, imagine someone who comes up to you and say, hey, I really dislike your blue hair. I really hate it. And obviously you don't have blue hair. So it's like, oh, okay. It's, just, it's like Teflon, right? Water off duck's back, so to speak. It's just like, right. it's not me. But if, if you're triggered by you're too tall, too short, too big, too small, whatever the comment to you, yes. there's a part of you that believe that. That's why it was trigger. 
So what what you said is perfect. Like what's within me that has me being triggered by this, and what an opportunity, what a teacher, this moment is to myself. So let me think about it and look at it, and also do it in the sense of gratitude. Also do it in the sense of、um, from the place of being a a objective observer, a scientist looking at this rather than、yes. I'm a good person, I'm a bad person, this way or that way. So. Yeah, if I may, CK,、Please. I think there's there's also,、uh, I think the difference between assessment and judgment,、mm-hmm. and I think if we live in judgment all the time, whether we're judging others, usually if we're doing that, we're probably thinking others are judging us.、Mm. So when you release the judgment, but apply assessment, all of a sudden that thing that begins to shift. So I'm less concerned about what others are saying、uh, as judgments, but as indicators of improvement,、mm-hmm. uh, or an indicator that I've now left the road and I'm about to crash into a tree. Right? You can ignore the signs to your folly. So sometimes you have to say, if enough people are saying something, then maybe I should pay attention to it.、Um, but if it's a one-off. Well, maybe it's not something you need to worry about, but take note of that. I think the greatest opportunity for us is to consider the idea that we not be driven by externalities alone. I think it's important to scan and know your environment. But if your if your life is being guided by externalities, including the thoughts of others, opinions. Then, to a, to a certain extent, you're setting yourself up for victimhood. If your reliance, if our reliance on others to feel good about us, enables us to feel good about us, then I'm doomed when they leave the room and I have no one to feel good about me. <laughs> right, and so at some point there needs to be an internal compass that allows us to navigate the world. Regardless of what maps we may find, or what terrains we find ourselves in. So, on that note, real quick, quick interjection. Yeah, go ahead. In one of your TED talks, you said instead of thinking about "I think, therefore I am," think "I belong, therefore I am." Right.、Mm-hmm. I love that message.、Mm-hmm. It seems a little paradoxical in what you just said as well, because "I belong, therefore I am." Part of being,、uh, it's very primal. For human beings who want to belong to,、mm-hmm. you know, a group, that's、mm-hmm. how we survive for two,、right. you know, two hundred and fifty thousand years,、mm-hmm. and it's it's a, a core fear that we have to be ostracized to not belong. Right. So at the same time, we want to be comfortable with oneself, not needing someone's external approval and validation. So, if, can you say a little bit more about how do you reconcile? Be okay、yeah. with oneself, and at the same time, you know, I belong. Therefore, I am, and so forth. Please. Yeah. Well,、um, belonging is a huge part. I agree. I think many of us. I think the world today is in、uh, pursuit of that sense of belonging, to be a part of a membership to a certain degree, and in most membership, there's criteria for membership. And I like to suggest one of those memberships, and for a community like the one I come from, is being aware 
of the needs of others and not just your own. So to the sense that I know myself, it's relative to the person next to me or the tree next to me or the animals next to me. It's not just me. I'm part of a whole. But as a result of being part of that whole, I need to know what I'm either contributing or taking away from that whole. And that's why I need to know enough about myself, be comfortable with what I have, uh, to be a part and a, contrib a contributor, not a detractor mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. that whole, mm -hmm. right? So I belong to this tribe, this group, this concept, this principle, because I subscribe to and exercise the things that allow us to be in community. Um, the indicators of community that tell me I'm no longer in community, you need to know what those are, right? And so if you belong, you'll learn that. If you don't belong, you may be running afoul of all ac accepted practices. Wait, wait, it's back up one sentence, one more time. Yeah, if, if you're running, if, you, if you're not aware of what those practices are, and you're just operating off of what I want, what I need to do, you could find yourself outside of the community, despite your perception of being in it, because you're now in opposition or out of sync with the community practices, right? Or belief systems. So whatever you belong to or your sense of belonging, once you're there, being is the next part. How do you be in community now that you have a sense of belonging there? And being requires an awareness, a discernment again. So th these concepts that we're talking about aren't independent of one another. They're interdependent. And oftentimes we look, people are looking for singularities. Well, he said belonging and then he said this. Mm -hmm. It's all encompassing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of order, relation, structure, not a singularity. Mm -hmm. uh, life is dynamic as we are. Uh, if you try to stand still, and this is nothing against my friend in the monastery, but to your point earlier, it's great when you're sitting in the monastery and all the wars going on outside the walls to find peace. But can you find that same peace in a room where there's war? Uh, that's that's a different thing. So it needs to be inclusive at some point in time. Yeah, well, one of the realization that I had is at some point I thought about, you know, wouldn't it be great to live a monastic lifestyle? And I realized it's actually harder to be a householder because we're in the world. We're, 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 right. we're of the world. We're not above the world. So, so to me, what a, what a, what an opportunity to really practice all of these teachings and wisdom that we learn from books as yeah. a householder. Yeah. Well, I think we all just kind of experienced a monastic experience the last two years. Mm -hmm. We all got to sit in our homes and communicate with the rest of the world through mediums like this. So I'm not sitting on a mountain, but I'm in an ocean, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And I have to leave my ocean sometimes, uh, if anything, to learn more, but also to share. And so the internet 
Zoom and all the various technologies have allowed us basically to stay in our little monasteries, but at the same time, get outside and experience the world. So we're in an interesting time, um, but it's all perspective, right? It's all point of view. So I have a curious question, and this is, I'm a technologist and uh, formerly trained PhD biomedical engineering, uh, in, you know, academic research. Mm -hmm. So I'm very much came from the world of cutting edge tech is the best. I was mm -hmm. in my 20s. And then I came to realize the folly, using your words, of that way of thinking. Oh, there is value in lineage, tradition, wisdom. So I'm coming back to, <laughs> to, to appreciate lineage, tradition. But I also see there needs to be a harmony in the middle, right? Because yeah. there's harmony in the middle. There's, a, there's pros of cutting edge technologies, there's pros of lineage, tradition, wisdom. As a teacher, as someone who is a modern householder, how do you reconcile the polarities of these, uh, these poles? That is a great, good question. I think the operating word you use is harmony, you know, and what does that feel like? What does that look like? And I think it's in pursuit of that compared to what the question would be peace in and of itself or balance those two things we define in different ways. But I think what really defines peace and balance is harmony. When things are in proper balance, there is harmony. When things are in peace, when there is peace, true peace, there's harmony. Um, but I could be in, like you said, in the monastery experiencing peace, but outside there's war. I don't think that's harmony. Things are not harmonious at that point. And so my inner sense, as well as the external world experience outside, if I am if I am finding a sense of calm and I walk outside and there's calm, there's resonance. Mm -hmm. But if I walk outside in my calm while people are throwing stones at one another and I continue walking in my calm, <laughs> that's ignore that's ignoring. Mm. The first would have been ignorance. I don't know they're going nuts outside. I'm just being calm inside. But when I go outside and I I see this disharmony, but choose to be in my own harmony and walk by it, mm. and not do anything about that, that may just be ignoring. And I think there's a difference. I don't think you can ignore. I could choose to say, I'm going to stay in my harmony. I'm going to stay in my peace and let you guys fight it out. That's a choice, right? But I, I live, my choices are, is there things that I can do then to contribute to that harmony? What is it, I go back to the earlier question, what is it that I've contributed, consciously or unconsciously, that is creating that discontent? Despite the fact that I'm feeling my own heart, my own peace right now. Because I'm witnessing that, I'm seeing that, I'm aware of it. Therefore, I must be part of it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in my awareness. 
Here's a good example, or an example, how good it is that's for this to determine. I, I work with a number of people who are in conservation work. Mm -hmm. And interesting enough, I was in a meeting where they're talking about, we need to save the forest because every time we go to the forest, we're robbing the gibbons, the orangutans of their home because the minerals that are in the soil there is helping us to create these things called cell phones. Mm -hmm. We have to stop that, save the gibbons. And my question is, so how do we plan to do that? Well, we're going to send out emails and we're going to do an internet campaign and we do this. And so how do you plan to reach everyone? Well, we'll get on our cell phones and send out emails. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make some calls on myself. Uh -huh. Oh, you mean the thing that's causing the gibbons in the forest? <laughs> right. You're going to use a cell phone. Uh -huh. right. It makes a lot of sense to me. Right? It, it's those kinds of things that we sometimes we get so deep into what it is we think we're doing that we completely miss all the signs that we are part of the problem and not just the solution. Mm -hmm. I think that's a level of discernment. That's where harmony begins to you see it. If I'm relying on the very technology to end the use of the technology, or at least the extractive practices that fed into this technology, how do I do that? And if I can't do it, if I'm not aware of it, right? And so for me, that's a big part of it is really acknowledging what is my contribution? How am I contributing to the problem as well as to the solution? And that's where balance starts to happen, right? It's a balanced view of things. And if I'm looking for peace for the gibbons and the orangutans, that their peace is my peace. When I know that they're sleeping well in the tree that has not been uprooted for the soil underneath it for my cell phone, then I have found harmony. Right. Yeah. What what I'm hearing you say is, well, first know your own terms. What what's okay with you, what's not okay with you yourself before you venture out to impose um, such value to others by advocating for dissolution of cell phones versus the preservation of the rainforest. That's what I'm getting. Yes, um, because if we take the truth, the, the definition of harmony, uh, it's not one note. And I'll draw from the musical experience. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at the music the spaces, the notes of F, A, C, and E. Learned that when I was a kid, face. At face value, those notes are different notes. One is an F, one is an A, but played in proper order, or maybe at the same time, to get a chord, to be in a chord is harmony. But to play the notes at the wrong time, or to play the flats, Maybe not so harmonious, but they're all in the same place. They're all in the same measure, right? To be a good musician, however, to bring out that harmony, one must know what order there is, what sequence, must timing, and sometimes when to be quiet, right? Silence is quiet, is, is music too. And so it's, I think that's all part of it. It's not one note. 
life is not one note. And I may be the carrier of one note. And when I find those others with the notes that we can begin to create music together, then so be it. But it's acknowledging that I'm not the one carrying the single note. Mm. There are others out there as well. I, I appreciate you saying, um, using the musical uh, metaphors, because for me, I like harmony. But then I also realized there is a time and a place for dissonance. You know, that's particular, you know, serves a particular jarring experience for some. Like, for example, when I sit in, let's say, the Shipibo style of ayahuasca, they play a lot of dissonant notes right. and it serves a particular function. I was like, oh, interesting. So um, yeah. I do want to, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I mean, uh, I think that's when learning happens. That when, that's when change happens, right? Uh, as I look at the image behind me, uh, a calm ocean is great on the surface, but there's a lot of activity going underneath it. Mm -hmm. And one of the places that is difficult to be in, but probably the most exciting, is where the waves meet the land, right? Where the sea meets the, the land, that churning, all that activity. Uh, as disconcerting as it may be for someone being tumbled around in the shore break, it can lead to a better future if you learn how to swim, right? Or how to get, yep. past, get past it. Either that or just stay out of the water, right? But it's that dissonant, that place there where everything's happening. That's when you come to a decision. Do I get in or do I stay out? <laughs> right. Yeah. But if you don't know that. You just, I'm going to try walking on water today. Right. So, um, I, again, it's all part of it. Everything has a part of the whole. And I think we need to respect that. That, uh, as one elder told me, the light breeze that you feel on your face is part of the hurricane that's out at sea. Mm. It happens to be where you're located. Mm. you know and recognizing that can you place yourself in the cool breeze or in the center of a hurricane that might be a choice so on that note uh, you reminded me of the time i was at sandy beach you know i thought i could hang with the bigger waves i brought my board and i was being tossed about <laughs> in the short breaks <laughs> and i learned I learned. All right. Yeah. My swimming skills is not strong enough. I better keep out of the water if I yeah. want to stay alive. Yeah. So, And you could have left that and thinking that, yeah, I, I can do it. Right. But until you get tossed around, then you begin to run. Well, maybe I, I have something more to learn. So, yeah, I agree. So on that note, you consider yourself a community builder, a social yeah. engineer, right? You put yourself consciously in a position of shall we say friction conflicts disagreement you know as a way to bring reconciliation and then you know trying to find the solution that would bring harmony to everyone there could you tell us a little bit about why you want to do that you know because <laughs> one may say it's not a most comfortable place right yeah. but being yeah. the shore breaks being the eye of the hurricane yeah you but you run towards that so tell tell us a little bit more about the yeah. choices well i think for clarity purposes you know i 
I'm not looking for these things, right? Okay. I don't go around saying, show me a car accident. <laughs> you know? That's about to happen. Let me get between those two cars. That, that, that's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> uh, most times people are contacting me after the accident happened, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, now they're trying to get through the wreck. That's very different than trying to mediate two people from getting in the collision. As I mentioned earlier, I don't go where I'm not invited. So what happens is people recognize that I have a skill set, or at least it's a demeanor that helps them come to terms with it. And as a third party, uh, not having any dog in the fight, if you would, right? I'm not there to prove one person right or wrong, but to find that space where they all work. Um, and for me, like you said earlier, harmony is a preferred place. So wherever I can go, and if I can be in harmony in that place, I'd like there to be harmony. And if people are seeking that out, that's what I'm looking for as well. So the higher order is harmony, not fixing problems. Mm. Higher order is creating a condition where these, these conflicts don't exist. Mm. So I'm not looking at fixing conflict, mm. right? What I'm hoping to do is create a condition where conflicts no longer required to achieve what those two people are trying to achieve, which seems to be harmony or peace, right? Um, I think we can fix problems and never eliminate the source of the problem, which means the problem is going to happen again, right? So that's that's kind of the, the guidance and direction that I, I take. Um, it's the old adage, you, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. So I'm, I'm not looking at getting into fights. Maybe there is a story and that, that story I could share is um, about two tribes. There's a tribe of chairs and a tribe of tables. The chair tribe has been trying to get tables to become chairs while the tables have been trying to get the chairs to become tables. It's been an ongoing feud between the chairs and the tables. And then one day somebody came in and said, I'm going to throw a party. And they contact the tribe of chairs and the tribe of tables and invite them to the party. And when coming together, the tables and chairs recognize that together they've enhanced the party. It's in that working together that their identities were really clarified. They needed one another to make the party a party. So for me, Anytime there's a dispute, throw a party. It's in the recognition that we all have our role. And at some time, if that's all it is, my role is the role, we tend to miss the value and import that someone else can contribute to me living up to my role. In this case, the tables gave meaning for the chairs in as much as the chairs gives meaning to the table. Um, that's what I try to do. He said, what is the end in this case? That said, you don't want to force the end if there isn't one there. Mm -hmm. How can you be this while they're that without requiring either of you to change, but just respect the fact that there is a chair and there is a table, right? 
that we may not, we may not see eye to eye on this, but I can respect the fact that you see the world the way you do. Unfortunately, if that means that you're going to continue to attack me, then I'm going to have to do something to protect myself. And I think we find ourselves in some of those situations where we just have not been able to reconcile that greater space. And if there's ever a pursuit, it's that. How do we eventually find what that is? Right? How do we create that space where you have enough, I have enough, and more is less? You had talked about the importance of, let me actually see the exact quote that you said. One second. Yes. Learning martial arts is a path to peace. A peace. It reminds me of a quote by Jordan Peterson. says, a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under volunteering control. So, Interesting. Yeah. Say that is, again. Say that again for me. A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under volunteering control. Hmm. It's another way of saying uh, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than to be a gardener in a war, right? So as someone who is a martial art practitioner, as someone who advocates learning martial arts is a path to peace. Um, is there anything you want to say about that? <laughs> um, the inner peace that is required to be a good martial artist, uh, it's not easy to come by because the art itself, oftentimes the practice is inspired by doing harm to others. If it is focused on fighting alone, if there's a focus on protecting, then the skills that are using, the intention is different. The energy is different. I'm here to protect and not fight. Now somebody says, well, you still slashed his throat, <laughs> right? But I'm slashing and he's attacking. I didn't go after him. I'm protecting the space I'm in. I have no intention to hurt anybody any more than a hamburger or a meat grinder intends to hurt any of meat. It's just a meat grinder. It's just being what it is. If you don't want to be ground, don't stick your hand in the meat grinder, right? Um, same as, a, I think, a, a martial artist. I'm learning to protect. If you don't want to get hurt, don't enter the room with intention to hurt. This room is being protected by you know, this practice. So I think part of it is having enough peace within oneself and always being your own guardian. That's the one thing I find most challenging is because uh, when you achieve a level of uh, experience and expertise like myself and others who have studied, trained, and practiced as long as we have, uh, you could argue for premeditation, <laughs> right? You've done something a thousand times, knowing and visualizing what you're doing. That's kind of premeditated. Uh, so when you exercise that, it just comes out. It's no thought. At that point in time, you have to apply thought. Is this the right time? Is this the right place? 
And you can't do that from a place of turmoil. You have to go to a place of peace. You have to go to a clean place and, and logically work that through, which seems weird. You're operating in an illogical condition, relying on logical you know, approaches. It's a full dichotomy, um, which I think we see in, in our laws today around self-defense and those kinds of things. When 12 people have to agree that if they were in the same situation, they would logically have arrived at the same condition. Mm. Well, the condition was illogical. So how do you come to a logical answer in an illogical condition? And how do you find 12 people to believe you or agree with you, right? It, it's, there's just so many things that just seem in opposition to one another. With that said, martial arts is in many ways about taking those opposites, a left or a right, and combining them and finding peace in the middle. As we say in the arts, uh, to push is to be pulled, and to be pulled is to be pushed. Be neutral. Don't push. Don't pull. Just be. And it's from that being that you can now respond versus react. So again, long story to your short question, but I think it's that. is how do you find that place of emptiness because you have all this other stuff around you that you can draw from. But it's really about being empty at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, this is my perspective. I was, am, I don't know how to, what's the tense, <laughs> uh, practicing martial artist. Mm -hmm. And um, the beginning part of my martial art career, shall we say, practice, was very much drawn by the adrenaline. Right, getting mm -hmm. really excited really fast mm -hmm. and couldn't really control myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, over time, it got a little better, right? I'm sure there's always more room for improvement, but it got a little better. I'm just not as thrown out uh, by, mm -hmm. let's say, a punch on my face or something like that. Just like, okay, I can breathe and let's keep going. Um, my perspective is this kind of exposure to adrenaline, to this primal energy, um, helps me lengthen the space between stimulus and response yes. so that I can not react with anger or uh, yeah, in primal impulses. Rather, is let's think it through. What do I want to do move-wise or you know, for the purpose mm -hmm. of the exercise? So, so that, that's, I can take that capacity, that spaciousness, to other areas in my life as well. Let's say when I'm triggered, get it on, you know, or someone who annoyed me or did something to me, I can at least breathe through, give myself some time before I choose what my action is going to be. Yeah, well, you know, they have, um, it, it is one of those old statements of wisdom, grandmother's wisdom, if you would, right? Stop, count to 10. Right. Take a breath. I think all of that contributes to that same creating time distance between the infraction and the response or the reaction. Right. And I think that's the funny part of it. Right. Duration and intensity. If I wait longer, it's a response. If I react, if I respond quickly, it's a reaction. <laughs> mm. So 
how far away from a particular impact or incident does that become a response rather than a reaction, right? Mm. I think that's part of it, what you're saying. Um, in the native world, there were communities that had war, war chiefs and peace chiefs. Mm. And you would sit in the circle together anytime a decision to go to war or need to go to war or conflict came up. So together they would say, do we really want to go to war? Wouldn't you prefer peace? And sometimes the peace chiefs would have to say, in order for us to keep the peace, we're going to have to go to war. Right? Mm. Because they know what that looks like and that there will not be peace until we end this. Right? And that may require us again to do which is the fighting part in order to protect so it's not clean it's not clear but it's about having the ability to find balance harmony yeah i'm curious about because this is the noble warrior podcast and when you first got the invitation or first heard the phrase noble warrior what goes through your mind what's your definition well, that's interesting um, because I think I subscribe to that concept, maybe not in those words. Mm -hmm. um, again, for me, the warrior is one who protects mm -hmm. while a soldier is one who fights. Mm -hmm. And not to say that one is better than the other. I think there, there's a soldier in every warrior. Um, the noble warrior is one who is holding these other things greater than himself or herself, right? To the extent that if one has to fall on his sword in order to maintain the peace, then that might be the action that has to be done to protect. Mm. And let me be clear about that. It, it's the notion that if I have been assigned to a protection detail, and I discover that I am the target of someone else's anger. And if they start to attack me, I have to be noble enough and aware enough that I have now put my protectee at harm. And to say there that I have to stand here and protect this guy, this person, this thing, that's the higher order and ignore the fact that I am now a target and therefore a threat to my protectee. I need to have the ability to step away and say that I am, can no longer protect you because I myself am under attack. Mm -hmm. now that's different than he or she being attacked and me stepping in the way to redirect that attack, to protect them. I think that is what a noble warrior must address. That's just one example. It's beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah. The reason why this uh, podcast is called Noble Warrior, for me, the warrior part is the willingness, the courage to lean into discomfort. And the noble part is our higher self, right? For the sake yeah. in service of our higher self. And that's the reason why podcast is named Noble Warrior. Well, I, I can see why, and thank you for that. Kumu Ramsey, I really, really appreciate you 
sharing your wisdom, your perspective, your narrative, uh, and just really who you are, your transmission. Um, super practical, very grounded, and thank you for being on Noble Warrior. Well, thank you for having me on the show and for uh, acknowledging me in that way. Uh, and likewise, um, for you and your practice and continuing that and revealing to others uh, what could be very much a part of their own experiences. It's just a matter of pulling the curtains back and looking deep enough, yeah. mm. looking in. So thank you, CK, for the time. And I look forward to future conversations and opportunities for us to, to work together. Yes, absolutely. And for those of you who love what um, Kumu Ramsey shared, go to bit.ly forward slash truth beyond limits. Until the next time.